Young Entertainment. Welcome to a brand new season of the Young Entertainment Professionals Podcast. I'm your host, Libby Olerich, and I am so excited we are back. We are featuring new faces, stories, and perspectives on what it means to navigate this industry from artists, musicians, managers, and more. Kicking off season two today with pop songwriter artist Ivory Lane. She's become one of my dearest friends and is truly so, so talented. I first heard about Ivory through a songwriter friend in the business who was working with her on some earlier projects, and then I met her at our Holiday Rewind show last December. Ivory grew up performing and teaching herself songwriting and production, and then went on to catch the attention of Grammy award-winning producer Ed Cash. She moved to Nashville from North Carolina and then signed a record deal with Justin Timberlake's label, Villa 40. Ivory has collaborated with writers like Krista Stefano, Jimmy Robbins, Lori McKenna, Shane McAnally, and several others. She's also received two major ad placements with her song, Something's Gonna Happen, one of which for White House Black Market. Her music is a blend of orchestral and pop synth sounds taking light to her influences, including Peter Gabriel, Annie Lennox, Coldplay, and Imogen Heap. She traveled to London last year to record new music with the help of producer Liam Howe, Lena Del Rey, Ellie Goulding, or among the names he has also worked with. Her personality and aesthetic is much like your favorite character in a classic Hollywood film, and she shares more about that and how she's taken her style to be relevant and true to herself in 2019. Ivory's latest releases include Boy Loves Me, Heaven, and Me, of which we all talk about more in this episode. So before I give her whole story away, let's get right to our conversation with Ivory Lane. Welcome, Ivory Lane, to the Young Entertainment Professional Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, of course. Um, So you were on our holiday show. (gasps) I was. And it was so fun. Yeah. Um, I think we had like met in passing before, but we got to know each other and your sister Madeline, who manages Mm -hmm. you. Yes. um, At the show. I locked eyes with you and I fell in love. Really? And now we're here. And it was Christmas. It was magic. Now we're here. (laughs) Josh is like, (laughs) what's going on? I'm just being honest about my feelings, Libby. Listen, and you were wearing the cutest sweater known to mankind. Do you remember? It was like sequined. Oh, yeah. and- it was my ho, 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 yo, yo, yo <laughs> sequin. Yes. So like I could flip the sequins to be like ho, 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 or I could be a little bit more like Justin Bieber Christmas. Yes. And Hip. say yo, yo, yo. Yeah. Yeah. Or just ho, yo, yo. I could make it really whatever I wanted. But. Kind of piratesque a little bit. That one's all- <laughs> That one's always a hit. <laughs> it is. Parties. Honestly, that's what drew me into you because I... You know, sometimes green rooms, especially when you're working with like you're at a collab show. Yeah. You're like, who do I There's talk to? This feels like middle school again. And I saw that sweater and I'm like, I can talk to that girl. <laughs> She's got some humor and style. Done. I'm all about the humor. And yeah. the style and the fusing of fashion. Mm. I think you could come out with a little clothing line or something. Well, thank you. I'll put I'll note that. I'll put that in the back of, of, Done. of my brain there Done. for later. Perfect. Um, so we're here to talk about your career. That rhymed. Love it. I was um, about to say, are you writing a song right now? <laughs> Maybe. I love we're this. in a songwriting building. Co write? <laughs> yep. We can do we're gonna do yep. an example co-write in the beginning of this podcast Perfect. and then work into the real stuff. Um so you 
You're from North Carolina. Yes, correct. And then you moved to Nashville when you started working with producer Ed Cash. Yes, on correct. your first EP. Mm-hmm. Um, before we talk about that transition, what was kind of your goal in mind when you were in North Carolina? So, like before your art teacher was like, "Hey, my friend is Ed Cash. You should think about working with him." Like at yeah. that time, like what was your train of thought before you were like, "Okay, I'm gonna." move. Totally. Well, I went to a pretty rigorous um, college prep school. So the immediate goal was to go to college. That was kind of all that I knew. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wanted to pursue music. I had been writing music pretty much my whole life. Um, But around the age of 14 was when I was like, I want to pursue this as a career. So I was thinking, oh, I'll just go to Belmont, which is music school here in Nashville, and just study songwriting and then maybe after that, become an artist. Like, I really didn't know how those things came about anyway. I just mm-hmm. was like, okay, I think I'm supposed to go to college and Nashville sounds great and I want to do the music thing. So that was the immediate goal. Love it. And so your art teacher introduced you to Ed Cash. He's produced records for like Amy Grant, Dave Barnes. I mean, the list is just like... It's long. Long. It's really long. It's long. Um, so you met Ed Cash. You produced your first EP. Um, what was the vision in mind for that? You have disappointed Superman. You also have got uh, something's going to happen. Yes, which we've talked about before. Got two ad placements. Yes, White House Black Market, mm-hmm. and then another ad placement that that's that's on the list there. So, so what is a little interesting about that EP, the something's going to happen EP, is that it's not my first one. I have. I keep one, thinking it's your but first no, but, one. But, but but I totally get why you would think that, and everyone would think that because my first original one is no longer available on streaming. You can find it on iTunes, I believe, but you can't find it on Apple Music or Spotify or any sort of streaming service. It is hidden, and I'm telling you about the Easter egg now. So everybody, <laughs> scurry, <laughs> scurry to find it. Um, I'm not gonna lie. It once you listen to it, you'll be like, "Whoa, is this the same girl?" Like she sounds very. Okay, I feel like I sounded more British back then because I just I really liked, you had some I really like, Adele British. Vibes. Yeah. Well, I I I listened to Regina Spector when I first started really getting into songwriting, so I kind of oh. copied a lot of those like open vowels and just it just it happened. Took, yeah, it did. Okay. And um, the music is a lot more quirky, Mm -hmm. but that was the EP that I worked on with Ed. Okay. But during that time, we we had full intention to make an album. We weren't even trying to make an EP. Like, I had recorded several songs with him, and I don't remember the exact number. So a few of those extraneous songs were Superman and Disappointed. Okay. So what happened with the Something's Gonna Happen EP was that I wrote a song— the title track, mm-hmm. Something's Gonna Happen, with Luke Brown and Chuck Butler here in town who were making waves in the sync world and I wanted to write something for sync. So I wrote that song with them. Okay. And it ended up getting a placement. And because of that, we felt like the best idea, uh, my team and I, was to just craft together a little EP with the songs that I had. So we just threw Disappointed on there with Superman and Something's Gonna Happen put it out into the world uh, so that when people heard this song, they'd be like, who's this girl? Ivory Lane, let me go find some music. And they'd have something to, something marketing. fresh to find. Right. Yeah. So it was really just like a, let's put some music out. <laughs> so No promo, no anything, just here you go. Within that time, how are you kind of building your voice and your sound and like who you want to be as an artist? During that time, 
I was just trying to figure out how to be an adult because I had just moved to town mm-hmm. and I hadn't even been here for a year. So I was meeting a lot of new people. I was, ooh, my finger popped. Ugh, sorry, that was gross. I was meeting a lot of new people and I was writing with a lot of people, which was something brand new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I say I, I've written a lot of songs with Ed and his brother, Scott, but they were never or- organically started in the room together. It was always things that I would bring to them, mm-hmm. like finished songs. And then they would come back and be like, here's how you can make this better. So I was learning how to actually co-write with people, like start to finish. I was learning a lot more about production and meeting a lot more people who could kind of help me with that. And figuring out, again, like I said before, like how to how to live alone and live away from my parents. And so it was just a lot of finding myself in general happening around that time. Right. Nothing super focused. And so you're here writing. Can you talk about some of the people that you wrote with when you first moved here? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I've I've had the privilege of writing with so many amazing people here in town from so many different genres. So I've written with Matt Bronlewy, who has a project called Unsecret Now, which is a really cool, um, really like dramatic music project that we just released a song called um, Get Ready. I, and he's a pop producer. I've been able to write with a ton of country writer producers like Jimmy Robbins and Shane McAnally, Lori McKenna, Chris DiStefano, um, Tom Douglas. I love Tom Douglas. Oh, wow. Oh. I love him so much. He is precious and also just so wise. So wise. I really wish that I had had my voice memo app running the entire time because he just kept dropping these tidbits about life that I'm like yes. scribbling to write down. Um, so yeah, and that just kind of started... I think that actually started with um, Joe Fisher at my artist development company connecting me with Jimmy Robbins. And the first write that I had with Jimmy Robbins was with um, Natalie Hemby as a third. And we wrote this song called God Save the Queens, which I hope comes out one day because I love it. But um, after I wrote with them, I'm like, this is like, I I could write with them for the rest of my life. (laughs) It was such a great experience. Uh And because everything in Nashville is so communal and word of mouth. It felt like after that, I just started making friends and going around certain country music circles and writing pop music. But yeah, it's been it's been great. What is that like writing a pop song with a songwriter that writes primarily for country music? Is there... Well, I love it. I think... And I think that country writers like it too because it gives them a little bit of a stretch stretch your legs moment um, <laughs> from doing all of the country stuff. I, I love writing with country writers because they're such brilliant storytellers and they don't take bullshit. They're very much, oh, hope I can say bullshit here. Yes. Um, they're very much just, they're used to telling real stories. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very conversational process. It's very easy. It's very fun. I don't hear terms like, well, on the radio today or in top 40 today, it's not competitive. It's just they, I feel like country writers are very focused on making sure the artist feels like they're being heard and their opinions are being expressed in a way that feels authentic to them. Right. Do you have any advice for writers out there that are trying to, or artists really, that are in the writing room and trying to figure out how to express what they want to say, how they would say it? Oh, oh, I love that question. (laughs) Yay. Um, (laughs) I think... I think one of the best things that you can do mm-hmm. is um, before you even go into the right, 
try to have an idea of what you're wanting to accomplish that day, whether that's, man, I just went through a breakup and I have to write about it, or I'd really like to hear what their ideas are. Just kind of, it's it's nice to go in there having sort of a game plan for your mind um, because sometimes it's easy to go in and feel like, I, I don't even, I feel like we didn't accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like this right went away from us and now you're telling me what I want to sing and I don't think I want to sing that and it can get really confusing really quickly. And I also think that one of the best things to do is, especially when you have other writers in the room and you're not just writing with like a producer who's running tracks and you're sitting in the back writing lyrics, if you've got another writer in the room, listen to what they have to say and process it and and don't just go, no, I don't like that. There's nothing more frustrating than <laughs> writing with an artist and hearing them say like, just shoot down every idea. But then they don't have something to... Exactly. And it's not because it's not because I don't want an artist to have an opinion. It's simply because, well, just let me in. I'm just trying to be a part of your brain right now. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, ex- you know, help you express yourself. So I think just kind of being patient and, you know, letting a writer share some ideas mm-hmm. and thinking about it, like sitting with it, even if it's just five seconds, and telling them maybe why you don't like that. Definitely be honest and tell, like, never, never write anything you don't believe in or you don't want to write, but just be diplomatic about it because it's it's supposed to be a fun experience. It's not supposed to feel like a drag. Right. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got some new music out right now. Yes. Me, Heaven, Boy Loves Me, all previews of like a whole new project that you've got coming out. Yes. That you've put together. You recorded most of these songs in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your sister, Madeline, who we've talked about a lot, who's, who's also manages you, has yes. played a huge role in the visual component of, of this project. So can you talk a little bit about like what inspired all of that? Um, and looking back, was there something that happened within your music career that kind of fueled the inspiration for this process? Yeah. <clears throat> Libby hitting it with the hard hitting questions. I love it. Um, just trying to get deep, you know. No, I, I just they're they're great. They're great, and they're different questions, which I appreciate. I, I think the overall inspiration, and it's been it's been my north star since day one. I'm obsessed with old Hollywood, and I love the aesthetic. I love the vibe. I love how it's classy, but it can be sexy and elegant, and also theatrical. And those are all things that. I'd like to think that I am myself. And so I've, over the years, it, it's been a steady but sure kind of fine tuning to get more and more into that old Hollywood look and feel, right. but still preserving the fact that I'm 24 years old. I'm, you know, I'm not walking out of a time capsule. I want to be relatable and I live in 2019. So that's definitely been the approach for all of the visuals we've created around the songs coming out this year keeping that old Hollywood vibe and fine-tuning it so that it feels very much like me. Mm-hmm. And it feels very real and authentic, but it also looks slick and pro. So we've been finding some really great creative collaborator, collaborators in town to help create this brand um, from a visual standpoint and on socials. So like for Boy Loves Me, I wanted to shoot in a theater. We got to shoot in the Franklin Theater and... David O'Donohue did a brilliant job making this beautiful film out of it for the music video. Cedric Jones shot photos the same day. 
We've done a lot of hustle, last-minute projects, but I think it's paid off because we have had complete control of the visuals and trying to guide the fans that I already have into this new season of mm-hmm. aesthetic and music. It's that feels you. that feels yeah. more mm-hmm. current me. Because the, the hard thing about releasing music and trying to get people excited about it is sometimes I don't feel super excited about it because I've lived with that song for so long. So, you need a new way to present it. Exactly. Yeah. I need a way for me to feel excited about it and to feel confident about, hey, this is relevant to me still. So it's yeah. been a really fun process meeting new people and actually getting to see a brand that I've dreamt up in my brain come to life. Boy Loves Me was the first song that kind of like launched this new season, I feel like. Was it? Yes. Okay. Um, what line in that song <clears throat> was like, was it the the movie line in the beginning that that started that whole idea or was it or was it just kind of this like sense of like an experience yeah started the writing process kind of both so i i was um i was in the process i was talking to a boy at that time and it was at that place where i you see potential and also i wrote committed right before i wrote boy loves me they were like in the same month or like two months it was like the same I was drawing from the emotions from that same situation but I was talking to a boy and it was at that potential moment where you know you're flirting and butterflies are happening and I was you know looking forward to talking to him and all this stuff and I was like man I just love this feeling but I also love being by myself. And I also love this life that I've created as a single woman. And um, my mom, this song has a lot to do with the way that um, my parents, but especially my mom raised me and my sisters to always be confident in ourselves as an individual. Right. And I wasn't, I wasn't even, I didn't date in high school. And my mom was always like, if I ever got a little down on myself about not, not having a boyfriend, she would just be like, your dreams are too big. Your your, your your dreams are too big. Like, when are you going to have time? When are you going to have time to have a boyfriend? And so that, that, those values and that confidence that my mom instilled with me, coupled with this juxtaposition of, I'm talking to a boy and I'm loving it. And like, we, like, we vibe I, I, and it's I, great. I, I'm liking yeah. this relationship. I, I wanted to write a song that allowed me to feel both of those emotions at the same time. And so one of the visual that came to my mind first was I love going to movies all alone because that's something that I actually love doing. I think it's a very indulgent, fun, self-care. What's the kind last of thing. movie that you saw? Oh my gosh. Well, embarrassingly enough, um, well, it wasn't embarrassing, but, but I'm trying to I want to say it was like a Star Wars movie or something. It was a sci-fi. There's this whole like, was planet the, sci-fi theme going on and I, I love, love it. I love science fiction so much. It had to, it was a science fiction movie. I want to say that it was a Star Wars film. I'm kind of blanking on it. I just know that my sister did not want to see that with me. And we went with another friend to the movies. And I was just like, y'all, I love you, but I'm not seeing, it's like, they wanted to go see a rom-com or something. I'm like, peace out. I'm going to go see the planets. Don't know. Again, I don't remember what movie that was, but I just remember sitting there and being like, I love this. Let's stay forever. Great. What's your favorite classic film? Oh my gosh, my favorite classic film would probably be, mm, I want to say 
Okay, two answers. Funny Face with Audrey Hepburn um, because the aesthetics and the visuals, I always go back to that movie when I'm creating something or I have like a vision for a music video or something in my mind. I'm like, what did what did they do in Funny Face again? Right. And it just makes you feel good um, watching it. It's just a really fun movie. Singing in the Rain is probably another oh, yeah. top one for me because my first performance ever um, as a child was... I think I was in like the fourth or fifth grade and I sang Singing in the Rain. What? And I had a Hello Kitty rain jacket and a little (laughs) heart like umbrella and galoshes and I love it. Yeah, I know. Classic films are the best. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I feel like they're a really, really good escape. They're a great escape and they're, they are timeless. They're, and that's, that's the goal for me as an artist. I would love for people to look back on my stuff just 50 years from now and feel like it's relevant and real and outside of time. I think people still crave the nostalgia of like classic film and yes. classic music. and Yes. Yeah. Even though that time was not a great time. It wasn't like there was yeah. anything special about those no. years at all. It was just, they were just, the culture yeah. was different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think that a lot of that has to do with um, the dressing up, which is why I have called my band the fancy band. Yes. So I, I called them that because I started I started really like dressing up for co-writes and meetings and things probably like a year after I moved to town. Like I just, for some reason, I was slow to get into fashion and I always loved makeup, but like I didn't have a curated style. It was just kind of a mess. My mother would tell you that I just look like a hot mess for a large portion of my life. <laughs> I'm a middle child, so it makes sense. we all like before we decided what it is. It's just, you know, trying to find myself through terrible, terrible clothing. And that's okay. But I I found that, and because I'm a theater kid too, it was like, it was like whenever we did dress rehearsals, I felt like, yes, now I really am this character. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's not like I'm play acting and... I'm I'm not myself when I'm in a meeting or anything, but it was like it gave me an extra dose of confidence, and it also made me feel like I'm in this old Hollywood movie, right. like I'm dressing to the nines. And so when we started, you know, put a band together, and we were talking about aesthetic, and I'm like, well, I want them to look nice and and for everything to feel really elevated. I want us to feel overdressed at every venue that we're at. Like I want people to be like, why are they <laughs> a little awkward here? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> We going to a wedding after this? A, a, but I wanted that because I wanted that that contrast. Right. Yeah, the gala. Um, so I'm like, oh my gosh, they're the fancy band. And so now they, uh, the newest upgrade to the fancy band uniform is all black dress shirt and black bow tie. And I think they're velvet bow ties. We got them from ASOS. But yeah, old. that's another old Hollywood play because I was like, I, I want, I love how intentional that they were about dressing well and putting on a fresh face and I don't it just it just shows intention and confidence too and I wanted that in the aesthetic for live shows and anytime that you would meet me that is not my aesthetic at home um I have so many sweatpants (laughs) anyone I have so many sweatpants it's not even funny but when I go out I I try to dress up we always look great 
Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, I, the last time that I saw you perform was at a live show. Yes. At the High Watt. That's right. Yeah, we, we couldn't, were, we couldn't remember. remember. It was in the main, like, cannery ballroom <laughs> venue situation. I know. Um, so for those artists listening, uh, can you talk a little bit about, like, your performance experience and, like, what's worked, what hasn't? Yeah. Um, well, um, like we were talking about before, one of the, the biggest hurdles for me or journeys whatever mm-hmm. noun you want to use has been finding a stage presence that feels real to me and right. also connects with an audience in the beginning when I first started playing shows I was very much I just had I thought about it too much I wanted it to be dramatic and I wanted to be serious I wanted to be a serious artist and I am just not that way as a person I I'm a deep person but I tell a lot of dad jokes and I just like for people to smile and I don't like, I'm a little awkward. And so I realized very quickly that that's what connects with people. It's that authenticity and also just not making them feel like I think I'm all that like in a bag you're, of chips. You're on stage and they're in the audience. And there's yeah. Like, there's like a, a glass a wall fourth or wall. Something. Yeah, exactly. Try to break down that fourth wall. And honestly, it really helps me for whenever I feel a little nervous just to be like, this is Whatever. this is just a conversation I'm having with a large group of people, but a conversation nonetheless. So finding that stage presence that feels great for me and authentic for me and also connects with the audience is super huge. Finding a band has been, oh, my band is just such a blessing. And the players change out depending on, you know, they they have to tour with other artists as well. So I don't get to see all of the guys at the same time anymore or, you know, it's always a different iteration. But I've been really, really lucky to have worked with so many incredible musicians who all have been very genuine about loving the music and wanting to represent it well. Right. And um, also just be a good hang because... Right now, I'm in hustle season, and we have played some shows that have just been rough. Whether it's been getting there, or you get to the venue, and you're like, there's three people. Or you get to the venue, and you're like, there's one bathroom, and the or toilet's like broken. Something's not set up, you know. Yeah, oh, my right. gosh. Like, one day, I want to write a book just about some of, the, some of the stories that we've had. But you know that you found your people when you're, like, stranded at an airport or, you know— in a dingy venue and not, the sound isn't working right and they're still positive and lovely and telling jokes. So I, I think, yeah, just the stage presence and the band and just finding that like relentlessness about playing live shows because it's it's daunting and I definitely in the beginning shied away from it because I, I didn't feel like I could handle it. I was just like, no, I have to. I have to go out on stage and play keyboard for like 45 minutes. Hell, no thank you. I I can't do it. But then once I found things that made me feel more comfortable, like a band and again, like being more myself and not taking it too seriously, that's when I'm like, okay, because of these things, I can keep committing to playing shows and getting better and building an audience slow and steady. Because it takes time, I'm sure. It, it takes time. Experience. It takes time. Did you... Do you play by ear? Did you learn that? Oh, I do. My dad plays by ear, and I just feel like I got that from him. I love it. Yeah, he was just over for um, Easter weekend, and I always end up like playing him a little something. And I definitely, I definitely, 
have thought about trying to learn to read music, but I think at this point, I'm just so ingrained in the way that I write, I, I wouldn't want to throw a wrench yeah, in anything that. that I'm doing. Yeah. I think it would freak me out. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, it would freak me out. Keep, keep going how you're just doing. Um, just, just faking it. So, you are one of the artists that were signed, that was signed to Justin Timberlake's label, Villa yes. 40. Yes. Talk about working with his team and how that has kind of like grown your artist development. Yeah. Just that whole experience itself of being able to to be a part of his. Absolutely. I mean, it's at the time that we signed on to work together, I I had not lived in town for a very long time at all. So again, it's that whole like learning to be your own human and then learning to be an artist and um and learning how to be a better writer and right. producer and performer. Like it was just a lot in the beginning. And I think that I'm really grateful for my team there because We've walked through a lot of stuff together and a lot of that has been life stuff for me. And so it's been really great to just be able to like with this song that one of the songs that we've released this year called Me, it's, I remember I I was kind of like about releasing it because it's a very raw and vulnerable song. And Brad and Joe at Villa 40 were both like, no, we're so excited about this song. This is like the song that we're most excited about for you to release. Like, let's do it and like do a cool concept video for it. Like go crazy. And they really, that, them saying that just meant so much to me because it just showed me, okay, they actually care about me being an artist. Like I'm not a performer to them and I'm not just like. They want you to shine. Exactly. And they, and they care about my songwriting and they, yeah, it's just been, it's been a crazy journey. But one of the things I'm most grateful for at this point is the fact that they have completely just been like to me and my manager, Madeline. I mean, they've been like, go work on whatever you want to work on. Like, we want, we like these songs, release them. But as far as visuals, figure it out, like whatever you want to do. And so we check in with them and everyone's got to be vibing before we put stuff out. Right. But we've been given creative liberty and that's something that you don't, you don't necessarily get. get. When you're signed. Yeah. Yeah. So they've been very open to that and it's been a it's been a journey of trusting each other and growing together and them growing as a company and yeah. Just yeah. Really quick tell the story of like when you found out that you were getting yes yeah signed to them because like it was totally not even something that you No, were, I did not even I had was no Was it like idea. you were vetting yourself to the yeah. I had no clue. I didn't know that Justin was starting a company. I didn't know that my music had been sent to him. Um that had happened because someone at my publishing company was like mutual friends with I think it was Joe at Villa and they knew that they they needed music or they were looking for artists I think mm-hmm. yes they were looking for artists and specifically in the pop world and so they sent along my music and I got I got a text from management saying hey I know you're in a co-write right now but don't freak out but Justin likes your music and I all these exclamation points and I'm like mm, Justin from the office I haven't haven't met this guy but that's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. He's and like, he's no, like, the... no, like the Justin, Justin Timberlake. I'm like, what? Why? Why? That's insane to me. It's so insane. It is. 
And it's like the most interesting compliment to me. Like, I just, I never in a million years, it feels like a stress dream. Well, not a stressful dream, but you know, stress dreams just weird. Yeah. I just was like, how did he hear my music? Why? This is just. What does this mean? Yeah. Exactly. And then I got to meet him and we've had several meetings talking about working together and what that would look like and his goals for this company and my goals as an artist. And they just seem to line up. And so I'm so grateful that he took the time and saw something in me that he connected with and totally reached like in a different direction than the kind of music that he was working on. Because that right. was the biggest shock to me. I was like, why does he why does he like my stuff? He's amazing. But I'm like this baby artist who's figuring out my sound. And probably, I, I would assume something that he could contribute to creatively, which is like exactly. always a huge deal. Exactly. And he's he's been very supportive of my writing. Like just, which is, you know, especially on songs that you write yourself. It's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to log that away for when I'm having a bad day, for sure. So, yeah, he's been great. That's incredible. Biggest takeaway so far. Okay. From your career, like, at this point. Like, something that you've learned. Biggest takeaway. About yourself. I don't know why I, like, feel this, like, gosh, I really got a fish for something. I feel like there are so many takeaways. Probably the biggest one for me has been the realization that people are so important. Other people, not me. I'm Not that I'm not important and not that I don't value myself, Mm -hmm. but I just, it's so easy to get trapped in my own little world and to feel really alone and like people aren't walking through what I'm walking through and people can't understand. I get Mm -hmm. like very middle school about life a lot of times. I feel like sometimes- I don't know how you are in middle school- but yeah, I was just like, no one understands me and everyone wants me to do stuff that I don't I don't want to do it. And this is <laughs> <Outcast>. so hard. <laughs> yeah. And like one day and always being like, yeah. one day I'm going to, this is this, this, and this is going to happen that I've dreamt of happening. And then everything will be okay. And it's just like. Such a weird narrative. Like it's, it's we create. Exactly. Create and we people. feed ourselves daily. And so the first part of that, just like, the importance of people, there's never, when you invest with people, you can't mm-hmm. lose. Sometimes you can be in partnerships or um, even in relationships with the wrong people for you. But yep. at the end of the day, like when you're investing in people and you're you're striving to be humble and to see greatness in other people, not just in yourself, that's been something that I've been really attuned to this year, especially putting out some of this music that goes back to that theme. I just think you can't lose. And you're not going to look back on your life and be like, yeah. well, dang, like, <laughs> well, and I <laughs> what did I do with it? Well, but I genuinely think this about like you, that you being so young and being able to kind of like manage this success that you have while being grounded at the same time. Like, it's just hard living in a world like where, you know, there's a lot of r- mm-hmm. young writers that come here, a lot of young artists, producers, publishers, like a lot of young people in this industry, like yeah. from a young person's perspective perspective like do you have any advice on how to not let that like warp like yeah who you are you know or who you think you should be or yeah I my heart goes out to 
artists and, and writers that I see who, especially when they're in like that 18, 17, 18, yeah. 19 age range, because that's how old I was when I got started in the industry, I guess, quote unquote. Um, and you, there's this rush. I feel like young people have to prove themselves, prove ourselves. I'm still young, right? <laughs> Same. Um, that we often, like what I was saying before about, well, one day I'm going to prove them wrong. One day I'm going, like my dreams are going to happen and it's going to happen like this and then everything will be fine and people will like me and like it's this weird kind of future utopia. Like a tunnel, like tunnel vision. vision yeah. Tunnel vision. And this pressure that you apply to yourself just because you're young and you're trying to prove to people that you're smarter or more mature or more talented or whatever. And I just think if you're a young creative, like you've got to, you got to take that pressure off of yourself. Be a sponge and um, stay true to yourself. And, and you intrinsically, everyone intrinsically knows no matter how old they are, they have a gut and, and they know this is me and this isn't like everybody has right. that kind of internal compass, I believe. Um, but I think, being young is such a gift because you're surrounded by all of these people who are older than you, who have lived more life than you, mm -hmm. and you can take bits and pieces of what they've learned and what they've done and what they haven't, and their regrets and their histories, mm -hmm. and you can avoid some pretty huge mistakes based on some of the wisdom that they're telling you. Mm -hmm. And I think when I first moved to town, I had this weird, like, Especially being a woman, too. Like, I had this weird defensive armor up of, ain't nobody going to change me. Like, <laughs> I know what I want. I know what I want to do. Hands off. Like, I, we can write together and we can make music. But at the end of the day, like, if I don't like it, I'm not right. going to put this song out. And, and what I've learned as I get older and as I work with more people is that so many people know so much more than me. And if I stop and I listen, I don't even have to say yes to everything. It's not, it's not dying it's not to yourself. Teeth. Yeah. It's just freaking right. listening mm -hmm. and, and responding a little slower, listening a little better, responding a little slower and yeah, just utilizing the people who are older than you because they really do want to help you. And as I get older, I'm finding I'm finding that I'm more passionate about meeting younger people and going out to coffee with them and talking about my experiences and being like, here's what I would do if I were you. I'm not telling you what to do, but like, listen to what I walk through. I don't want you to do that. Right. <laughs> like, I get it now. So I don't know if that's proper advice, but yeah, just- No, but it is. I mean, Being it's, open. Right. Being open. People want to help you, especially in Nashville. People want to help you. Is there a mentor that you- Ed, Ed Cash- um, was my my probably biggest mentor, especially in moving to Nashville. He was very integral in that and was the first person that I worked with um, who allowed me to produce music and and learn from his interns and him. And so he was definitely a mentor. And um, honestly, like, I just... I. Right now, I'm just really inspired by artists like Annie Lennox and Peter Gabriel and digging into music that I 
wasn't even aware existed when I was growing up because I just wasn't in, I wasn't in that timeline. And looking at their careers and and looking at their music and being inspired by them. So they're not necessarily mentoring me. I would love to make up a lie and say that they are, but that's kind of, that's been the focus right now. someone that you look up to. Exactly. Just focusing on that older music that again has that timeless factor and that authenticity and something different. No one wants to create regurgitated goop on the radio. Quotable. No, thank you. (laughs) Regurgitated goop. How did I title that as my album? The world will never know. Um, Your music that you've released all, like, obviously sounds like you is consistent. Mm -hmm. But they do all have their different sounds. Sounds like me. Loud, chatty. (laughs) Love it. Um, Where can people listen to it? Where can they follow you? Uh, What can they expect? Love it. Um, you can listen to me on Spotify, on Apple Music. It's Ivory Lane, L-A-Y-N-E. I'm not a street. Mm-hmm. Again, I just love saying that. It's my catchphrase. Um, and I'm on all the socials. I'm not really avid on Snapchat, but um, I still really, I don't me understand either. it. I let that go a long time ago. <laughs> it just it. feels like a separate, it feels like a separate planet. Yeah, and like I, a different world. I love Insta stories, so that's kind of where I've been living mainly. You're really good at them. Thank you so much. You're well, good I'm at bad them. at Twitter, and Facebook just becomes something that I, I post it. Well, I post it on Instagram. <laughs> I love Facebook because it's like a completely different um, fan base mm, for me. Okay, but like I end up just sweeping my my Instagram posts over to Facebook. So Insta stories is where I feel like. You're getting the hard-hitting journalism. You're getting the hard-hitting journalism. Yeah. But yeah, it's just the day-to-day of Ivory Lane. Ivory Lane, L-A-Y-N-E. I'm there. And I am hoping to be announcing some shows sometime soon here in Nashville and because they're really freaking across good. the yes. globe. Maybe I'm just gonna I'm just gonna, you know, prepare the fields for rain there. Yes. <laughs> World tour is happening. No one knows <laughs> just about it, including, including my team. They don't know about it, but it's happening. It's happening. And then we'll be releasing a song a month indefinitely. I'm hoping for the rest of the year, but we'll we'll see. I hope for the rest of the year. I know. I mean, maybe for be the rest of, of my work, life. a lot of work, but <laughs> yes. Well, friends. I know. There's so many songs. There's so many songs. So many. I know. And, and they're I, all good. Well, thank you so much. And I'm excited because as we come to the end of the London sessions, we'll be releasing hopefully some songs that I've written here in Nashville and have been produced by friends here in Nashville. So it'll be a little more localized. A smidge. So much going on. So much going on. All good things. All good things. All good things. You can't see the bags under my eyes, can you? I'm glad this is a podcast. You look great. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, friend, for joining us. You're the best. Go check it out. Iberlane.com. Thanks. Yeah. No regrets. No regrets. (laughs) No regrets. No regrets. (laughs) Cool. Be sure to follow Ivory Lane on social media for updates on new music she will be releasing over the next few months. I can assure you, you will not be disappointed. You can also follow us, Yep Nashville, on social media and visit yepnashville.com for updates on mixers, panel events, and a whole lot more. And if you happen to be listening from LA, we have a brand new Yep Los Angeles chapter, and they've already put on some amazing writers rounds and networking events. You can follow along Yep Los Angeles on Instagram to learn how you can get involved. Thanks for listening. I'm Libby Ulrich. And until next time, discover, cultivate, accelerate.